Welcome to the Blue Collar Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Brewster. We're so excited to have you with us today. Today, we're interviewing Todd Elliott, founder of Philo and author. You're going to love the conversation. Make sure you share this podcast. If there's anything we can do to serve you, don't hesitate to reach out. Get ready. Here is today's episode of Blue Collar Creative. So Todd, thank you for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Tell me, how did you get into production in the first place? <laughs> uh, it's a great question. Uh, so probably like a lot of people, I in high school, I was uh, yeah the kid who was fixing the film projector and you know wanted to be back where the soundboard was at the time. It was I think it was maybe twelve channels or eight channels, powered mixer, you know, very basic, um, and then maybe the best part was my mom was a part of starting a church when I was in late middle school, early high school. And so with that came, Hey, we need people to help set up. Um, It was very basic. And so yeah, it started with one microphone and a record tape deck, um, you know, to record the sermons and wow. uh, So yeah, just started doing that. And just as the church grew, the demands for production grew. So it went from one mic to two mics, the two mics and a, you know, a keyboard, a guitar, you know, just, and so I was able to learn kind of on the go. Uh, okay. Now we need park hands and, you know, just, I grew mm-hmm. as the church grew. So it was, and I think on some level too, I, um, there wasn't really anybody else around who was going to do it. And so if I wasn't doing it well, nobody was going to do it better. So I had a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, grace because yeah, if I'm not doing it, then it's not going to get done. So, um, yeah, was able to kind of learn and grow while the church was growing. That's amazing. And it, at, at, a, at such a young age, did you realize the ministry side of what you were doing or was it really just about the production side? That's a great question. My mom was a big time she was all about serving and our, you know, Christmas time for me was about being at church serving. That was just kind of an expectation, not an expectation, but just was part of our life. And so being at church, doing production stuff, it was, well, this is what we do. And so that was a big part of it. And I loved doing it. Uh, So, and I, I guess, um, I was a musician too. I was a very mediocre musician. And so I came at it from the music (laughs) side. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, the shiny gear and the new thing and whatever, I just didn't know that was even something to be thinking about. I was just so excited to be doing something, you know, being a musician, like on the outer rim of, you know, it's like I'm not on stage, but I am creating music with people and, you know, doing audio stuff. I mean, as a high schooler, how much ministry do you can you really grasp? I don't know. I felt like, yeah, it's what the church needed. This is what we do. I'm in. Makes total sense. As a teenager, how much do we really know about ministry? I love when the story that you're telling though about your mom having you around ministry at a young age and it becoming part of your life. That's a beautiful description. When did it click for you that like this could become a career, mm. not just a passion and, and a volunteer opportunity? Yeah, as the church continued to grow and I sort of got through high, you know, getting older in high school. And so, so I think by the time I was a senior, I was thinking, man, this would be great to do as a job. 
but I had no context for anybody else doing it. Not even uh, so much in the church, but just in life. I didn't know anybody who was doing live sound, which was my primary thing at the time. And so I thought it would be nice, but I didn't really have a context for it. So I went off to college, got an industrial engineering degree, dabbled a little bit in audio through college, but mostly I kept thinking, well, maybe it's recording studio stuff and maybe I'll date myself here, but I I was going to school in the late eighties. And so I was all about like liner notes and uh, on CDs and uh, reading this, was it CCM magazine would like kind of show you, yeah, who was on tour and where they're going to be and who the people were. And like, I was all over that stuff and trying to figure out how to get into that world. I guess the, the turning point for me was while I was in school. So this is maybe 1989, a group of people from the church that I'd been a part of that with my mom and all this, uh, they, the church was about starting other churches, uh, planting churches. And so a group uh, from that church was going to plant a church. And so I said, well, these are my friends and this sounds fun. And so I'm just going to jump on this with them. And so I volunteered for a couple of years doing that, uh, helping this church start, you know, in a high, in a middle school cafetorium, you know, so half cafeteria, oh, cafeteria with a stage, essentially. Once I was in that, I thought, I want to do this. I want to be with these people. I want to make something. I'm going to reach our community. And so that was really the the first time that I thought maybe there's something here. That's amazing. And then there's probably so much story that we could talk about between the first Sunday in that cafetorium in Willow Creek. I mean, it's quite a leap and probably a leap that a lot of people listening today would love to have happen in their life. Maybe it will and maybe it won't. What was that experience like when shifting from like the planting, startup, set up, teardown environment? Because I think a lot of times for the teams that I get to speak with, we look at the set up, teardown environment, and then we look at an established environment, and then we look at a Willow Creek type environment, and we think that, oh, there's probably no issues when you're at a Willow <laughs> Creek because church planning is basically being a missionary. It's really, really tough. Right. Shed a little light on what some of the tensions that you had to manage were when you were leading at Willow Creek. If I could maybe just start with, I would not trade my startup experience for anything. I would love to go back to it, actually. Yes. There's something magical, which is probably the wrong word to use, something that can't be manufactured. It was definitely God was there. He was orchestrating things. The bond that I have with those people from the startup days is, yeah, so solid. And, you know, we all keep in touch still. And, yeah, there was something really special about it. So I guess I would start with don't assume that things are automatically going to get better somewhere else. Over the years, I've heard it said so many times, these are the good old days, you know, the ones we're living in now. And so I definitely, there's something really special about that experience. I guess making the jump to Willow Creek, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happened in between, but that church that we started grew and production was a big part of what we were doing. And I mean, to think about, I started working there in 1992. So in 92, there were not a whole lot of churches with a production person on staff. And so that was a fairly new thing. And yeah, by the time I, I was there about 10 years on staff, 11 years, and yeah, we had 12, I had 12 staff people reporting to me, uh, leading, 
you know, kind of a huge thing. And yeah, it was amazing to see what God was doing. And frankly, I was not interested in going to Willow Creek, but it was something that God orchestrated and really pushed me out the door. He was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, really saying, you need to let go of this and trust me that I can supply. Yep. And so I'm like, I love this place. I love these people. I don't want to leave, but okay. Yeah, coming to Willow Creek, uh, I would say the thing that surprised me the most was that the problems and challenges that I was facing as a production person, as a leader at Kensington, the place I was before, were exactly the same issues that existed at Willow Creek. There was no radical difference. I mean, maybe the only real difference is their budget had more zeros in it than mine. And because of that, maybe the issues were magnified. You know, things are, were more difficult, but the issues were the same, which is maybe I'll, I'll just say my number one challenge was the relationship between the production team and the worship team and the tensions yep. that exist there. Just, I think, naturally without having to work at it there, we just see life in a different way. And so how do you bring those two groups together? That was a challenge before Willow Creek, and it was a challenge at Willow Creek. It was really no different. So now it's like, okay, I need to work on my relationships and build into the people that I'm working with. Yeah, so that really was no different. The big challenge of a place like Willow Creek, or I'm sure there's a you know hundreds of other places, is scale. Everything is gigantic. Everything costs a lot of money. Team nights are huge. I would say that was an adjustment for me, just having to think in a scale I was not used to having to work in. Yeah. And it does take time to learn. I don't know if you ever adjust to the scale because in (laughs) in any organization that's growing, it's growing. And so you never really catch up with it. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the big shifts too, was that I had a set of instincts that existed for me at my previous church. And then when I got to Willow Creek, I had to relearn oh, we don't do it that way. We do it this way. And we, you know, we don't think about it like this. We think about it like that. And yeah, that was definitely an adjustment. From the outside, it looked like, oh, this is a shiny thing and smooth as, you know, can be. But yeah, there's just things to be learned for sure. No question. No question. So that would be a beautiful transition to your book that you just wrote. And we're going to come back and talk about the Philo Conference because I definitely can't have a conversation with you without talking about it. But I love Jesus, but I hate Christmas. Yes. <laughs> First off, tell me how you came up with the title for this book. <laughs> Beyond just the natural feeling that we all have as people who work in ministry at Christmas time, this book is obviously way much more than just Christmas. Right. But how did you settle on that title? <laughs> it was a title that I've that's been in my brain since 2002, if I'm honest. But it started as a joke. At that time, we were doing a staff Christmas party, and one of the, I think the youth program, they were the staff that were doing youth, they were responsible for the fun we were going to have at this Christmas party. And so somebody got up on stage and was just sharing fictitious book titles that people on our staff had written. And so they went through, you know, different staff people and the funny title books that they had written. And that was the one they had picked for me. Um, and so got a huge <laughs> laugh. Uh, I even still have, they made like a fake book, like they taped a piece of paper on a normal book and gave it to me. I still have it. And so, it, yeah, it. it's been kind of floating out there for a long time. And 
yeah, just the closer I got to actually writing the book and, you know, publishing it, uh, I, I waited to the very last minute to decide that was the one. And, uh, so I reached out to my friend who, you know, came up with the idea. I said, Hey, do you mind if I steal that title? And he's like, yep, do it. So anyway, that's where the name came. Yeah. For $1, (laughs) for $1 per book sale, you can gladly have that. Um, and I think it, it just represents um, kind of the feeling we all, you know, we have around not necessarily Christmas, but yeah, just the work we do. Yeah. I love Jesus. That's why I'm doing it. But man, it's hard. It's hard. No question. Before I ask you too much about the book, mm-hmm. I want to ask, talk about the process of the book for a minute. Okay. What were the feelings you had as you were writing the book, as you finished the book? And then when you like push that button to send it off to be published, what were some of the emotions that you experienced oh, during that process? You know, to go back to the very beginning of it all, I, I started the process just as something, as an exercise to just write down some thoughts. So it started just as kind of an outline and, a, you know, just writing down ideas. But then the actual writing part was way more difficult than I had anticipated. To have a conversation with someone, if somebody doesn't understand something, you can kind of explain yourself or kind of go into more depth. When you're writing something, it has to all be there. And I think that pressure was right. definitely not something I was prepared for. The sheer volume of words required was very daunting. Mm-hmm. And the idea, like, can I actually finish something this big? If I'm really honest, I wrote a bunch of stuff and then I abandoned it for years and started writing blog posts instead because I felt like I can write a thousand words, still hard, but I feel like I can do it. But writing a whole book, yeah, just so monumental. I got to the point where I was just frustrated that there wasn't anything out there for this group of people. I don't want to be so bold to say, if I don't write it, it's not going to get done. It's not going to get written. There won't be anything for our people. But I felt like if I'm not willing to do it, why would anybody else be willing? So just suck it up and get it done. And I would say, yeah, the team over here at Philo really helped build a structure to help me get it across the finish line. And then I think too, I still find it bizarre that I have written a book and that it's something that people are buying (laughs) and reading and, you know, commenting on and somewhere around the time where I'm like, let's just get this thing done. From that moment, I'm just like, all right, just whatever we need to do, we're going to get it done. Um, And so, yeah, it still feels weird. I mean, I'm holding a copy of it right now and yeah, it's very strange. I'm just a tech guy in the booth. You know, I'm not an author. Guys, thanks for checking out the podcast. We're going to jump back into the conversation in a minute. One thing I wanted to let you know is if there's anything we can do to serve you, do not hesitate to shoot me a text. 615-492-2342. I would love to hear from you. Love to hear where you're at. I'd love to hear what you'd like to hear on our podcast and any information that we can give you. I love getting to serve the local church. If there's any conversation that you want to hear, I would love to hear about it. So shoot me a text. 615-492-2342. All right, back to the podcast. When you were facing that moment of, if I don't write this, no one else is going to write this. Like we know each other from different conferences and from just following each other on social media. One thing that I know about you is there's a godly humility that you walk with. Mm. When I hear you even make that statement, it's not a statement of, I have to do this because I'm the leading voice. It feels more like, if I don't do this, I don't know who will create the voice for this tribe of people. Mm. Does that resonate? Yeah. I mean, I think 
on some level, it's more like the holy discontent kind of vibe. You know, it's like the yeah. thing that God has put on my heart is this bringing together of the Philo people, the people that are doing production in the local church. And so I suppose I need to back up a little bit because the writing of the book I don't like being in the spotlight. You know, writing a book makes you feel like an expert, which I definitely don't feel like I am. But the writing of the book was more an act of obedience for me. I mean, it's a very long story and goes way back, but I had a moment where I wouldn't say I heard God speak audibly to me, but definitely a moment of, you need to write this book and it doesn't matter what happens with it. Like, just write it for yourself or write it for me. You know, it's what God's saying to me. And who cares if it sells any? That's not the point. And so I would say for me, it just took a lot, a lot of years to finally be obedient to that. But for me, I just, I felt like if I didn't do it, I would be one of those regrets. Like, I think God asked me to do this and I, but I didn't. So beautiful. That's beautiful. What's the one thing you hope people take away when they read the book? If there was one message that they resonated with, because the book's full of, it's a resource, it's a handbook, it's an inspirational book. But what's the one thing you, as the author, hope people take away when they read the book? If I think about who did I write this for, I could probably say I wrote it for my younger self. And I think the big takeaway for me is you're not alone, you're not crazy. The feelings you have, the struggles, you know, those are all real and they're shared by people all over. The hope is that even discussion questions and stuff like that, that teams can kind of work through this stuff and remind each other, oh yeah, this is what matters to us. Or yeah, we are in this together. Because I think any kind of ministry in the local church, I don't think this is unique to tech people. I think everybody has their own feeling of it. But yeah, it can be a very lonely place and a place where you feel misunderstood. And so for me, if somebody can pick this up and say, oh, I resonate with this, somebody understands my challenges. Um, I think that's, that's what I would hope for. And that it leads to them becoming uh, the best version of themselves so they can keep serving in the most optimal way possible. I love that. That's so good. And the book itself, when I read the book, I really felt like it was an overflow of my experiences at the Philo Conference. Hmm. And I don't know if that resonates true for you or not, but for me, it definitely felt that way. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm honest, I'm one of the least tech people I know. I'm not into the (laughs) kind of the gadgets and like digging into something and, you know, figuring out, you know, how to get the most out of a compressor or, you know, whatever the thing is we're talking about. And I think that so oftentimes it's real easy to get distracted as a tech person on those things. That's what I gravitate to. And so for me, it's so much more about it is about my heart condition and how I relate to Jesus as I'm serving. And so a lot of what I believe about doing production work is in the book. A lot of what I believe about production comes out at Philo because you know, it's one of the few places I'm responsible for the content. So I'm like, well, we're going to do the thing that I feel like God's put on my heart. And uh, I have to say, this is maybe an aside, as a tech person, I'm usually just doing, not just, I'm usually trying to make your ideas happen. You tell me what you want and I will get it done. And so that's been a big jump for me doing the Philo conference where like, this is my idea and we're, how do we make my ideas happen? I've been to Philo before. 
I love Philo. Those who don't know about Philo, we're going to tell them about it right now. But one of the things that is funny, and this is probably just my stupidity, I did not realize until I was at Philo what Philo really meant. Okay. That Philo meant first in, last out. And I would say like for me and, and, and just the ethos of my life, that connects on such a huge level. So I love the title. I mm-hmm. love what you've called the conference and the community, Philo, first in, last out. But for the person who's not been before, give them an idea of what's Philo about and why is it in existence to serve production teams and now beyond just production teams. Yeah, the name Philo is something that when I started blogging instead of writing a book, that was the name of my blog was first in, last out. And so it just sort of with a team of people, we decided that's what we were going to call this event that made the most sense. And it really, I think, captures the challenge of what production people in the local church do. You turn the lights on, you turn the lights off. You unlock the building, you lock the building. You're there before anybody walks in. You're there after everybody's at brunch. Again, maybe I'll say it's not like youth pastors don't have their version of this or senior pastors. or I mean, I think there's not much out there maybe there's more out there now than there used to be, that's targeted to the church production person. And so the goal really was to say, let's have an event where we can help people develop a skill that they can connect with others that understand their situation and then hopefully inspire them that what they do matters and that God has created you uniquely just to give them some hope and inspiration. And the reality is that we go to a lot of events as tech people and we hear lots of great content, but the reality is we're working during those times. And usually I think it's real easy to just dismiss some great content because like, well, they don't really get my situation or what it's like to be me or whatever. And I think there's something really beautiful about saying, we're going to take all this content, all these ideas, and we're just going to target them directly to you and your situation. We're going to do that by the people you see on stage are people like you and the jokes people are telling, we're all laughing at and we're all wearing black and that there's a camaraderie that comes from, we all get it. If you look at a lot of our main session talks, some of the concepts are not necessarily new, they're just packaged for the tech person so that we don't have to make some giant leap to apply it to our own situation. So our goal is to kind of try to make that jump for people or at least get us a little bit closer to our situation. The reality is that uh, we've talked about it before. I mean, I think it's real, as a tech person, it's real easy to gravitate towards new gear and learning how to use some new piece of software so I could do my job better. And I think there's some great resources out there to learn about that stuff, but there's not really anything that's recentering us on the idea that I'm a Christ follower first, I'm a tech person second, that Jesus wants my heart. He doesn't want my to-do list. I sort of joke around that the breakout classes we offer is sort of the carrot we dangle out there. Hey, hear from Stephen Brewster about how to, you know, have a great creative meeting. But then when you come to the main sessions, we kind of, we blindside you with Jesus. We, we put you in a seat. You don't have to do anything. You can experience worship like a normal person. 
in air quotes, <laughs> and you can and you can hear a message that's coming right at you. That's sort of what we're trying to do through that's, doing that's the file so conference. Yeah, that's so good. So one of the things that you said there that I really loved was helping people remember that it's about Jesus and not about their to do list. I think in ministry and in leadership, especially on the creative side, and even more so on the production side, Sunday coming every week, the weight that the production team carries, it's so heavy. And it's easy to be working in ministry and not being ministered to. Yeah. Was there a moment in your life where you confronted that reality? And how did you handle that moment? Because I, I know without a doubt, a lot of people listening today have been in the moment where they're like, I do this for Jesus, but I don't remember the last time I talked to him. Right. When did you catch yourself in that moment and how did you handle it? Wow. I'm not sure I could pinpoint an actual moment, but I can say that the church I was a part of in Michigan was super formative for me in ways that I could almost say almost everything from the book came from my experiences there. Wow. And my coming to Willow Creek was more like what I learned there applies here too. And so the people at Kensington, the senior pastor, uh, Steve Andrews, and the arts director, Mark Nelson, they really challenged me to live a life beyond the task and that it was my responsibility to do so, that they weren't necessarily just going to look out for me always because the reality is that nobody gets what I do. Nobody knows. You know, they're like, what do you spend all your time doing? Like, I can't even imagine that it would be a full-time job. You know, that's usually how people are feeling about the tech person. Isn't that the worst? I see you at church, but what do you do the rest of the week? Yeah, I mean, so do you have like a different job? No, this takes like all week. Yeah, so the reality is that nobody gets what I do. And so if my spiritual life is lacking or my I'm not spending enough time with my family or a lot of those things are on me to figure out. And so, so I started working at the church in 92. I was engaged to be married. My wife, or my fiance moved up to, to Michigan from Atlanta as we got ready to get married. Um, I think it snowed on October 2nd. I had to apologize <laughs> profusely to her. At a certain point, when she moved up there, I was working seven days a week. I loved every second of it. I wanted more. And she's like, this is not cool. And right. I'm like, well, but this is like eternal consequences and, or, you know, just like the potential here and this, I'm doing it for Jesus. And she's like, well, yeah, you can stop, you know, just one day, two days, you can stop doing it. At one point she got fed up and she, at the end of a midweek service, she went to go talk to the senior pastor and I was tearing down the stage. We were meeting in some rented facility and tearing the stage down. I see her make this, like she was walking with purpose to the senior pastor. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is about to happen? And I, so I just turned around and put my back to the seats. So I couldn't see what was about to happen. So I'm wrapping my cable facing upstage. And she basically read him the riot act. Like you can't make my husband work this many hours and blah, blah, blah. He listened to it all. And at the end he said, you know what? No one's asking your husband to work this hard. If he can't do something, he needs to stand up and say so. And I think his term was, Todd needs to be a man and say yes or say no, but don't blame it on someone else. And that was a huge moment for me to realize that this is not somebody's fault. This is, well, it is right. somebody's fault. It's mine. This is not on anybody else. And so 
that was a super formative moment, uh, you know, back when I first started that made me realize that if I'm not being fed spiritually, that's not somebody's fault, but my own. Right. Um, I can't blame it on the senior pastor or, and I guess in some ways, you know, it's real easy to overgeneralize. So this is a generalization, but I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't moments where like your boss is pushing too hard or the culture is toxic or unhealthy. I mean, those definitely are factors too, but I feel like for the most part, my own spiritual well-being is my responsibility. Totally. Just been super fortunate that I learned that early on. And you learned how to kind of create some boundaries probably in that moment. I guess maybe on that, on that point about setting boundaries, I had a real formative moment uh, at my time at Willow Creek where I was going down to my office and the senior pastor was coming down from his, we kind of met at the the stair, you know, where the stairs came together and it was right by the exit. And it was about five o'clock at night, you know, on a Thursday, Mm -hmm. let's say. And he said, don't stay too late. And I said, oh, you know, I, I just have a deal with my wife that I have to be home by six for dinner. You know, that's when dinner's on the table. And he said, yep, I have the same deal with my wife, but it's 5.30, so I got to get going. And just that small moment was so helpful for me because I think it's real easy for us to assume that the pastor's putting in these crazy hours or he's got no boundaries. And so I need no boundaries too. And I just thought, here we are saying like, we feel like he's telling us to stay late and do whatever it takes and work the hours necessary. And like, he's got boundaries and he's going home to have dinner with his family. And I probably should too. That's so good. And for those who are listening right now who are like, oh my gosh, that sounds like Disney World. How do I have that conversation? Because there's so much gold in what you just talked about, Todd. Let's throw out the completely unhealthy, toxic environments, okay? okay. Yeah. Because in a toxic unhealthy environment, you're never going to be able to create a boundary. Like whether you leave that job because you set a boundary or not, you'll end up leaving that job because it's toxic and unhealthy. So your time there is limited regardless. If setting boundaries cost you your job, that was the inevitable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How would you coach a young leader listening right now to set up those boundaries without coming across as lazy or ungrateful or a know-it-all? Yeah. You know, part of it is it's about being strategic with the time you are there. And so if I feel like you're not really working hard and then you're telling me you got a boundary to go home to your family, then maybe I have a problem. But so good. I guess, I mean, this is so complex, this, uh, this issue. So I'm just going to speak for me. The problem I have with boundaries is that I don't want to let people down. So it feels weird if I'm walking out before everybody else. And maybe that's a bit of the leadership gear in me. It's like, I want to be the last one to leave. But the reality is, is that um, nobody's making me feel that way. It's just how I'm feeling. Right. So part of setting boundaries is getting over that feeling that you have. And following up with the boundary anyway. To me, I feel like it's real easy for people to say, well, I can't go home to my family because there's still people working or we got to get this stuff done. Yeah. So part of it is it feels icky to leave early. You just have to get over it um, because it's not feeling icky to really anyone else, I would imagine. 
I love that. Like getting over the icky is so, so important. I think that a lot of times the icky is also attached to identity. For sure. And we've misplaced our identity. And so we're trying to find our identity in our performance as opposed to finding our identity in Christ, which is a no win game. Like you are never going to work hard enough to replace Christ as your, your home for your identity. I love the feeling of superiority I get from being the first one in the office and the last one to leave. But yeah, it's going to catch up to me eventually. And seasons of life play such a big part of it too. You know, like when, like in the season of life that I'm in now, my kids are older. I have more, I have more ability to flex and do different things. When my kids were younger, I didn't have that. When I was single, I could do whatever I wanted. Right. You know? And so one of the fables that attaches itself to boundaries is that boundaries are forever. Right. And the truth is just like everything else in life, boundaries are adjustable. And we've got to learn to adjust the boundaries to the season that we're in. The other thing is they're not excuses. So we have to stop using them as excuses. But I think too, the, you know, the part of it is what you said, like, uh, I've got kids and I got to go to a soccer game. So I got to go now. You kind of have a built-in boundary or boundaries. And if you're single, I mean, I had a guy that worked for me and he used to work way too many hours. And so I would say, hey, man, I feel like you're, you're going to burn out here. And he's like, well, I mean, I'm just going to go home and watch TV. So like, why not just get some more work done? Yeah. If you're single, it's real easy to say, well, I got no real excuse why I can't just put in a couple extra. You need the time off too. And I did think of the, the other thing was, like the work is never going to go away. You cannot oh, yeah. get enough work done. It doesn't matter how much of it you do. There will be a pile of it tomorrow. And exactly. so, yeah, have exactly. a boundary and yeah, live a life outside of work. Even if we love what we're doing, we need a break from it. Something completely different to recharge our brains, to recharge our hearts. If you're always working and always beating on the same thing, you're going to get worn out and less effective. No question. No question. Todd, this has been an amazing conversation. You've written an amazing book. People, if you're listening to this right now, pull up Amazon, order the book, order it for your team, get them into this book. You'll be inspired. You will learn. You will be shepherded and led. It's an amazing book. If you haven't ever taken your team to the Philo conference before, make sure you sign up. It's going to be an amazing conference. It always is. You're going to love it. What would you say in closing? Someone's listening today. They're like, okay, I can do this another day. I'm going to do it another week. I'm going to set some boundaries. I'm going to find contentment in being in my setup teardown situation. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you feel impressed to just tell people as we close today? Yeah, I would say that one thing I love about the body of Christ is that God has created each of us uniquely to fit in the body of Christ. And the reality is that as a somebody in ministry, I'm not even going to say just a tech person, but you know, anybody who's doing a service once a week, uh, it's real easy to just think about, I just got to get through this weekend, just got to get through that weekend. You know, just that you're looking at things very short term. God did not create us uniquely to fit in the body of Christ, to burn out and to be in it for the short run. The design is that we spend a lifetime running in the same direction, the way that God has created us to. And so I would say, cut yourself some slack this week and go home early today and maybe tomorrow too. And just think (laughs) of, think about it in terms of the long haul. Like God wants your 
your heart for the long haul, not just for, you know, until next Sunday and then the next Sunday. This is a marathon we're running and not a sprint. Thank you for joining us today, Todd. It means the world. And we're very Mm -hmm. thankful that for the influence that you've had, for the art and creative and leadership that you're putting into the space to help people get better. And it means a lot. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Man, I hope that conversation encouraged you today. It would mean the world to me if you would take a few minutes and share this podcast with some friends, maybe share it on social media, send it to your team. If there is any way that you could support me, it would be by sharing the podcast with others. So please take a moment and do that. That'd be awesome. We're going to be back again in two weeks. Cannot wait to let you be part of the next conversation that we have. It's going to be amazing. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks for all you do in helping to make your church the best place in your community. Thank you.